0: Hello friends welcome to running and fitness with raj this show will bring you exciting and interesting guests and give you specific and actionable advice on your running fitness and general health in today's episode we will hear from sharda agarwal and mahesh jairaman who are the founders of sepalika sepalika is a leading online healthcare platform which is focused on reversing chronic health conditions through guidance on diet lifestyle and exercise In this episode, Sharda and Mahesh will share high quality and practical advice on foundational principles of body, discuss why nasal breathing is better during exercise, give nutrition and hydration principles anyone can follow, discuss what food and health supplements work, discuss certain specific aspects that women endurance athletes need to be aware of and share some of the books, podcasts they use and experts they follow. Welcome to the show, Sharda and Mahesh. I will begin uh, by requesting Sharda and Mahesh, uh, in that order, probably to just give us a, uh, give us an overview of what Sepalika is, uh, what has been their journey in putting this company together, and then we will move forward to further questions and discussions. Over to you, Sharda.
1: Thanks, Raj, for having us over. Sepalika is, as you said, um, an online clinic which helps people reverse chronic health conditions, because that is the philosophy that Mahesh and I believe in, that all chronic uh, conditions or almost all of them are caused by um, lifestyle uh, disorder or lifestyle issues. And therefore, a correction or a reversal can only come when you try and change that lifestyle. And when you try and use medication... It's like trying to just fix symptoms uh, temporarily, but you're not addressing root cause. So Sepalika believes in this philosophy of functional medicine, which is um, a system of healing uh, that is now uh, be- being popularized in the West, where there are these are traditional MD doctors from the fields of allopathy who believe that the way to address any health issue is to go to the root cause. And once they do a root cause analysis, The solution is always first in the area of lifestyle, which is nutrition, which is changing your, let's say, your sleep and stress uh, patterns, uh, which is to fix certain nutrients that the body may be deficient in. So the role for allopathy is almost like an emergency medicine. So that's the philosophy that we believe in as well, and which is what we use at Sepalica. Uh, Our large focus has been uh, in the area of women's health. But another emerging uh, space for us has been diabetes um, and weight loss for people who have uh, not just weight as an issue, but also have medical conditions like high cholesterol, uh, blood pressure issues, fatty liver, uh, thyroid problems. And we do this all through um, using technology. All our consultations are on uh, phone call uh, and, and WhatsApp. It is in rare cases where we actually, uh, we do have, uh, Mahesh and I do also run a specialized uh, version of a one-on-one clinic where we meet them in Mumbai and Delhi or on Skype video sessions. But um, we use technology and it's completely online and we've seen fantastic results at Sepalika and it gives us great joy when we actually see people get off medication and reverse their conditions um, using the philosophy that I just outlined.
0: Great. Mahesh, uh, how did you both come together?
2: Ouch, I think we may have been better in reversing those two questions. So the way that I met (laughs) Sharda is that Sharda was referred to me as a patient who had migraines that nobody was able to fix. We were introduced by a mutual friend whose migraines I had helped. And when I looked at uh, Sharda's record, she had been to everybody, including one of the leading migraine experts uh, in Mumbai, who does only migraine headaches, if you can believe that. And she was almost being put on very serious uh, neurological medicines for the migraine. So what we did instead was to run a simple complete blood count, what we call a CBC in India and a few vitamins and minerals. And we found that she was deficient in vitamin D3 and B12. And my thing to her was that, you know, once we fix this, we'll see if the headache still remains because the D3 was really low. And nobody had told her that a low vitamin D3 could lead to this kind of symptom, even though she had been to a bevy of doctors and came with a rather fat medical history file when she came. So once we were able to work with her to get her off that, and we used some acupressure, of course, I must give credit where it's due. So with those two things, Sharda recovered and then she said, uh, nobody ever told me this and despite having access to such a you know a high level of hospitals doctors etc so if we can do this with me maybe you can help a few of my other people as well her friends and family and that's how uh, kind of you know got into this i was already running my practice at that time out of delhi sharda is based in mumbai so then i began seeing um, helping her immediate friends and family and then when all of them began seeing results that's when Sharda said, you know, I don't think this should just stay within friends and family, is there a way we can take it to the larger world? And that is how Sepalika was born. So just an interesting aside for your uh, listeners, Sepalika is the Sinhalese name for the Parijat flower. So, um, you know, in an era when everybody worries about appearance more than their health, we decided to pick something that was a combination and the best of both worlds. So the Parijat flower or the night jasmine flower looks beautiful, smells fragrant, but its real strength is that it has uh, antibacterial, antiviral, anti-helminthic properties. So um, that is the reason we chose the name Parijat.com was already taken. So we decided, okay, we'll go a little southern, you know, down south and take Sepalika, which is a three uh, you know syllabled word that is easy to remember. And that's how Sepalika was born.
0: Okay. Oh, that's that. Thanks, thanks for that background, Mahesh. Maybe I'll start with you, uh, Sharda. So, a lot of the listeners of this podcast are, you know, running uh, running enthusiasts and fitness enthusiasts, and uh, you know, Sepaligad does a very holistic approach. So, can you start with uh, telling us about some of the foundational aspects of body, which everybody, including runners and fitness enthusiasts, need to be aware of? And also uh, later, maybe you can also touch upon some of the common mistakes or misconceptions even that people may have.
1: Right. So for w- when you're a runner or a fitness health enthusiast, one of the things that I notice with all the people that I've spoken to is there's always a focus on intake of protein. Because for them, protein equals muscle building. Um, so that's the big nutritional or dietary philosophy they follow. And the second one they look at is reducing the level of fat intake in their body. Those are the largely the two pieces um, that of nutritional advice that uh, I find runners and fitness enthusiasts follow. Interestingly, I thought I must mention that my daughter used to be a competitive uh, swimmer. So she swam at a national level in India. And I remember even at that time when I met with her uh, nutritionist, Uh, This was many, many years ago when I didn't know much about nutrition. Um, She advised me to put uh, her on low-fat paneer because paneer uh, was a great source of protein, but we didn't want the fat. Uh, And and to all, I think in in most of our dietary advice, it was about increasing protein and reducing fat, which is what I I find even today a lot of fitness folks uh, look through. And I realized that that is where, you know, people are making a mistake. Because let's come to foundations. See, at the end of the day, there are what is these are. I follow three or four foundation principles for any runner, any fitness person, or in fact, any client who comes to a Zipalika. First is one is diet, which we all know about. But what we must remember is it's not just about the food that we eat, but it's about the body, the ability of the body to digest and assimilate that food. Because if the latter two are not happening, if the the nicest and the fanciest of meals are not or the best of whey protein that you may be taking is not going to be of much use to you so to me getting your digestion not diet but digestion correct is a big big concern and i find that a lot of people come to us with compromised digestion and how do i find it out we don't do fancy tests we you know we have um, and i've qualified in um, functional nutrition. So we have certain clinical symptoms or questions that we ask the client and at the end of which I know whether you have an issue with your stomach acid or is it an issue with the digestive enzymes. So getting your digestion right to me is very, very critical. So that's one foundational aspect I look at. The second thing that I look at is something called uh, blood sugar regulation in the body. So even though I know that Folks like you, or all runners, will go very easy on sugar. They're very, very conscious of the amount of sugar or sweets that they take in. Um, The people must remember that the body does not recognize sugar. It does not recognize mithai or a dessert. The body is only concerned with what any food that we eat in is broken down into, and it's broken down into macronutrients, like you know, um, sorry, it's broken down into sugar in the body. So even the roti or the rice or the pasta that you, the potatoes or the vegetables that you eat get broken down into sugar in the body. Now, because of a wrong choice of eating, especially in India, even with athletes, where there is a center of our plate tends to be more carb-led, which is rice, roti, pasta, even millets. Okay, these things break down into sugar. And if the body is not properly regulated on sugar, um, you can lead to spikes and fall in the blood sugar levels, which you as an individual, We'll see as, you know, bursts of energy and suddenly you'll find there's no, you know, energy levels are dipping. Okay. And I also need to see that the food that you take in actually gets converted into glucose, which is which is what is an athlete needs or a, or a runner needs. Uh, the glucose is efficiently transported um, into each of your cells and the, the, the glucose is being utilized. So to me, the whole blood sugar regulation, which is not to ensure that your body spikes and drops in blood sugar, but it is more evenly paced out. is very important. What's also important is to ensure that you eat the right number of meals, which is what we do when you come to Sepalica. It's not about fueling every two hours, every one hour. The body has to have something called what we call as uh, metabolic flexibility, which is that you must have, the body must be able to dip into multiple sources of energy. So whether it is dipping into glycogen or glucose, which of course we all know, but whether it is dipping into using fat as a source of energy, whether it is using ketones as a source of energy, because, you know, keto diet is a big thing that is a big fad with uh, uh, fitness enthusiasts today. So the ability, the body must be able to tap into simple and complex sources of energy as and when they need demand. And most athletes and uh, most all of us, most of us don't have this metabolic flexibility. So that's another foundational aspect that we look at. The third thing I look at and which is a big, big issue is I find fitness guys go very low on fats. They don't realize that 60% of your brain is made of fat. And it's not about physical fueling. It's about half your performance on, on, uh, in the field or on the ground or in the, in the water is about your, you know, your, your mental strength and how well your mind is working. And a lot of your cognitive ability will come from fat because the brain is made up of fat. It also comes from your ability, what I mentioned earlier, which is the blood sugar regulation um, or balance, which is insulin sensitivity. Are you really sensitive to insulin? And it's not about telling me that oh, I'm diabetic. I'm not diabetic. My you know blood sugar uh, report is all showing me not at normal. It's about how sensitive your body is, which is how much of insulin your body is producing for the amount of sugar or carbohydrates that you are pushing it through your diet. And that needs to be at a right balance. And it needs to be sensitive, which is the timing of the release of insulin needs to be uh, matched with the intake of food so that it efficiently moves the glucose into a stored form of glucose, which is glycogen, right? So fats to me are very important. And I realized that fat, you know, at least don't realize that every cell membrane is made of fat. So if you don't get fats into your body, you're not going to have healthy cells. Okay, Fats are very important to, reg- re- to down-regulate uh, inflammation in the body. Uh, fats are extremely important for formation of cholesterol, which in turn impacts your testosterone levels. And for athletes or fitness runners, uh, testosterone levels are critical. So fats play a huge role, uh, which is often, I find, um, undermined by the industry because everybody thinks you, as an athlete or as a fitness uh, Enthusiast as a runner, you need to go low on fat. Um, Hydration is another foundational aspect. While I know that athletes do look at water levels, I find that uh, two things don't happen. That even on a daily basis, this is not just when you're running, but even on a daily basis, you need to get adequate amount of electrolytes in your body. uh, And therefore, your water needs to be not just plain water, but water which has, um, um, at the simplest level, a sea salt uh, or a Himalayan pink salt. Uh, because that is what you need to get hydration at the cellular level, which is different from just quenching your thirst. So I need the hydration to go right down at the cellular level, critical for runners, right? Um, and the other important thing for me is the role of diuretics. Uh, maybe we'll discuss the role of caffeine later, but I need for athletes to know that I know a lot, a lot of athletes drink fruit juice, they, uh, and we must remember that fruit juice itself is a diuretic, which means it washes off water. So the amount of water that you drink is dependent upon your body weight, but also dependent upon diuretics, uh, whether it is um, carbonated beverages, whether it's fruit juice, even green tea, by the way, is a diuretic. So you need to compensate uh, because otherwise, even a one to 2% um, uh, hypohydration or drop in levels of hydration can actually impair your cognition. Uh, So that's very, uh, very important. So these are some of the foundational aspects that I look at. Uh,
0: for any runner or um, fitness enthusiast. So, Sharada, just to uh, summarize, uh, the points that you highlighted are uh, no, more than diet. One should look at digestion. Uh, blood sugar regulation is uh, extremely important. Then uh, you use the term metabolic flexibility, which is essentially what is the right number of uh, meals. Practically, that's what it, uh, it comes down to. One should not ignore uh, fat. Fat is not bad. Fat is, in fact, uh, essential. That's what you are saying. And finally, hydration, but not just water, but making sure you get the right amount of electrolytes as well as uh, making sure that what you take as the hydration does not increase. I mean, it does not have the effect of a diuretic. So you need to be conscious about that. So that's that's very helpful. Thanks a lot. And some of these topics we are obviously going to come back to i will move on to you mahesh now and mahesh one of the you know things which is extremely interesting to athletes runners is around the breathing now there is i mean at a put at a very simple level there is always this uh, confusion debate probably misunderstanding around whether nasal breathing is better or whether mouth breathing is better is there is one very superior to the other that's one aspect of it the other question i would have is uh, What can people do to improve their breathing regulation? Are there certain, uh, you know, exercises, pranayama that you recommend people do regularly? So would be, you know, very interesting to hear from you on that topic.
2: Okay, fantastic. So this is something that is quite dear to me um, as a topic because um, as a runner myself and Um, You know, especially at the time when I was training to run at high altitude, I had the joy of running in lay and when I was prepping for the half marathon there, this is one of the aspects that I really got into in depth to try and understand, uh, you know, because we were told uh, we were flying in my, my brother and I and, you know, no acclimatization. In terms of driving from Delhi, so none of the, uh, you know, where you're during the day going to a peak, at night you're resting in a valley, therefore you are getting adjusted to the altitude. None of those benefits we were going to have. So I looked into breathing quite deeply at that stage. So the interesting thing is this, Raj. um, I find that uh, it is crucial... Uh, at least uh, this is my experience and then I have ratified it again with uh, people like Patrick McCoven, whom I'm sure you know uh, your listeners are also familiar with. He's the gentleman from Buteco breathing, the guy who's been making it popular in the modern era. So nasal breathing indeed um, can be an absolute game changer when it comes to aerobic uh, exercise. That is because the nose has natural methods of improving Uh, the oxygen delivery to the blood and then thereby to the actual muscles and tissues that are working that the mouth lacks. So all of us think that it's the volume of oxygen that we're getting in and there obviously the mouth wins, you know, because obviously the hole is much bigger than nostrils. However, the nose has by its natural structure, small turbinates, which are like Uh, you know, uh, things that supercharge your air and push it down to the bottom of your lungs. So remember that all oxygen-CO2 exchange only happens in in solution, it doesn't happen in air. So the oxygen gets diffused into the blood, hemoglobin carries it to the alveoli at the bottom of the lungs and that's where the first part of O2-CO2 exchange happens. So that requires that oxygen must be pushed deep into the lungs. And for it to reach the bottom most part of the lungs, you really need to be using your nose, which has turbines in it, literally like a turbocharged car, where the same air is rerouted in and so it goes in a lot deeper. So that is first on the sheer structure of the nose. The second thing is the nose is rich in blood vessels, so it warms the air and sends it into the lungs and therefore allows for greater diffusion and greater gaseous exchange O2CO2. The third thing obviously that the nose does, which is going to be critical in these Corona times, is in filtering um, uh, you know, particulate matter. So uh, it, it filters, makes sure that the pollutants don't come in and then it all gets deep into your lungs. Now why do runners not like it? Runners don't like it because obviously nasal breathing slows you down initially. It's a huge ego hit. Uh, you know, if you're somebody who's used to running, uh, say, 6 minutes, 15 kilometers, 6.15 type of kilometers, suddenly you've gone up to seven and a half, seven forty five, and 7.45, and you feel like an old person, and somebody whom you know to be slower than you overtakes you. So there's a huge ego hit that happens. However, if you persist with nasal breathing, in my experience with pretty much everybody that I have worked with, uh, you know, I've had the good fortune to work with people who run a five minute pace, that that kind of level, you know, per kilometer. So, you know, uh, it takes about eight weeks to 12 weeks in my experience. But within that time, your ability to breathe through your nose and yet be efficient uh, and uh, reach much greater, you know, reach your personal best and then cross it over usually happens. Mouth breathing is inefficient for many reasons. I'll just state two of them that are easy to register. Number one, mouth breathing leads to loss of a lot of oxygen that hasn't been absorbed because it goes in and uh, obviously the same hole is what stuff comes out of. So you don't, it's not pushed in deep enough. So you lose a lot of tidal oxygen in the process. Number one, number two, the CO2 washout is huge. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners are enthusiasts who might have heard about the importance of carbon dioxide for breathing. We all think oxygen is the number one thing, but CO2 is what opens up the capillaries, dilates them and allows for oxygen to go in. So many a times when I have patients of mine who are asthmatic, the exercise that I teach them is to actually pinch their nose and hold their breath. It sounds completely counterintuitive to hyperventilating, which is what they do. But if you make them hold their breath, then the CO2 builds up in the system allowing for the capillaries to open up and the oxygen to actually penetrate a lot deeper. Also mouth breathing is usually shallow breathing. It stops at the uh, site of your chest and your shoulders. Whereas uh, nasal breathing is often diaphragmatic, therefore it goes far deeper into your system. And nature has beautifully built us with all of our sympathetic nerves in the upper half of our body. So whenever you're escaping a tiger, it's these, shallow breathing and these nerves that get stimulated. So you're in a fight-or-flight state when you're breathing through your mouth whereas when you're breathing through your nose, it sends a rest and digest signal because most of the parasympathetic nerves are at the bottom of the diaphragm. So when they get pulled, your brain enters a state where it thinks that it's calm and relaxed and obviously your runs are going to get better and better. So one last thing to share. If anybody wants to get the runner's high consistently and this is, I accidentally discovered it running in Jahampana forest in Delhi and it was the greatest discovery of my, you know, running life at least. It is possible to get into a runner's high by consistently keeping yourself at under 70% or so of your VO2 max. Never get to the VO2 max. Instead, if you keep nose breathing and if you keep training to improve your CO2 tolerance, You will reach a stage where suddenly your hands and feet begin moving automatically, and you feel like you could run at that pace forever and you're blissed out. So the runners high or bliss that a lot of people think come from endorphins from overstretching yourself. I have found it doesn't come from that. Again, book to recommend to your viewers would be uh, listeners would be Mind Body Sport by Dr. John Duyard. And Dr. John Duyard is an Ayurvedic doctor out of the US. Uh, who was doing this far before? I think by the time McGovern was dropping out of school, uh, Doctor uh, Duyard was already doing his research on nasal breathing, and his book Mind Body Sport is one of the first things that I, you know I laid my hands on, where he proved beyond a doubt that nasal breathing leads to a state of you know uh, euphoria as you run. So literally, I tell a lot of my uh, running trainees that. You know, it's like Nishkama Karma. It is at that point where 0 2 co don't seem to be leaving your nostrils. And yet you are in the midst of deep activity. So deep activity with no involvement is equal to breath that doesn't leave your nose. And you can run forever with the runner's high.
0: Uh, I want to share actually my personal experience. You know, I have been a mouth breather for uh, forever. And uh, recently I did uh, come across an interview with pa- uh, Patrick McEwen and, and for the last three odd months, I've been practicing 100% nasal breathing. I'm not running, you know, sp- I'm not doing any speed work right now. So all my running are easy runnings, aerobic running. And uh, I find a big difference. And one point which I also notice, especially in place like Mumbai, is that... Uh, the the thirst that I have normally, and this is another point which Patrick had highlighted, which is that your water loss is also much lower if you stick to nasal, if you stick to uh, nasal breathing. So, yes, so, you know, whoever is listening to, I think it's something which is worth giving it a try, especially for your easy runs when really your pace doesn't matter and you are, you know, you are just trying to be doing the exercise in a low heart rate purely aerobic zone one zone two i think it's it's something which you know i can continue and even at higher speeds over a period of time develop the co2 tolerance as you said And improve. So thank you very much for that. Uh, Shardha, we are going to come back to you now. In terms of, you know, we obviously, you know, spoke a bit about uh, nutrition in the foundational aspects. One of the things that a lot of people actually struggle is, you know, there are so many methods, so many ideas out there, people don't even know where to start often. So can you just help us with uh, some of the basic things that anybody can do and uh, principles that they can follow? And the related question is, you know, diets like, uh, you know, keto or intermittent fasting. I mean, you know, you can name it as many as you want. Do they really help or do they help in some circumstances? Say, for example, I have heard a lot of ultra runners like keto diet, but it need not necessarily work for shorter distance runners who need more uh, glycogen more uh, glucose and sugar while ultra runners probably don't need that much so it would be very interesting to hear from you on some of the actionable advice you can give on the nutrition side
1: so my basic advice whether you are an advanced athlete or a you know someone who's advanced on the fitness um, scale or someone who's just starting off would be to first get your macronutrient balance right If you remember earlier, I did mention that one of the biggest mistakes that I find people do in India, even uh, with athletes, is they go very low on protein and on carbohydrates. Uh, Sorry, protein and fats. Uh, We tend to be more carbohydrate driven. And my uh, ask would be to ask you to increase the levels of protein and fat in your body. What would be the combination? Um, Would be ideally, let's say... now. First, I must uh, qualify this by saying that I believe in this concept called bio-individuality. What do I mean by that? That each of our intake of food will depend upon the lifestyle that we currently lead, the life stage that we are at. When I say life stage, it means uh, not just uh, your age, but it's also, you know, whether you're somebody who is, um, let's say, homebound in terms of activity, or somebody who does a lot of outdoor, your life involves a lot of outdoors. So that's life stage. Or whether, for example, you're a mother who's looking after um, children and you're an athlete versus a woman who's much older and and is an athlete. So that's um, that's also forms a part of your bio individuality. It also, you know, a lot of your genetics will also determine uh, how how much of what kind of nutrition you need and how you're able, whether you're capable of digesting them or not. So based on that concept of bio I'd say get your macronutrient proportion right. So I would say normally at least 30% of your diet should come from fats, uh, and another about 30% or 35% from uh, protein, uh, and about uh, 40% from uh, carbohydrates. What in India we tend to do is that carbohydrate component tends to be, even for athletes or even for people who are very, very aware of what they're eating, Instead of 40, 45%, it tends to be as high as 70 or 80%. And that's the mistake that we make because that level of carbohydrates, remember all carbs break down into sugar in the body. If you're taking um, good carbohydrates like vegetable and fruit, that's great. But most of us, bulk of our carbohydrate intake comes in the form of a rice or a roti. And those break down into simple sugars, which go and give you this blood sugar dysregulation and insulin resistance, which is what I don't want, right? So... Get the up your levels of protein and fat is what I would ask as a number one thing to do. Number two is I would ask everybody to hydrate well, which means what we call it, Sepalika, as drink nutrient-dense water, which is to every liter um, or a water bottle that you have, you need to add half a teaspoon of uh, either sea salt or uh, pink salt, not iodized salt, not the white salt. okay? Because this, this is what will get a lot of the minerals into your body. So that's the second thing that, uh, in from a dietary perspective. Third is, um, if you take your plate. I, I, now remember, I'm not talking about race day or pre-race day. Those are separate. That's a separate piece of advice. But on an uh, in general, if you take your plate, ideally half your plate should be vegetables. Uh, one quarter is protein, and one quarter is carbohydrate. In for athletes, probably the amount of protein will increase. Okay. Um, when I say um, one quarter is carbohydrates. I mean, those are that's what I'm referring to as rice or roti. Your vegetables, you must have at least two differently colored vegetables at each meal, at lunch and at dinner, because color is what gives you your bioflavonoids, your antioxidants, your phytonutrients, which is all very important. So you need to ensure that you have differently colored vegetables. Um, there's something called glycemic index of uh, carbohydrates, which is by what level your blood sugar rises. When you eat a certain quantity of food and you need to have moderate or low glycemic index foods as an uh, athlete or as a fitness enthusiast, Um, you need to have a good amount of fat. I said, if you remember, I said 30 percent of diet should come from fat. And when I say fat, I needed to have a range of fats, which means what you need to have saturated fats, which are largely dairy, you know, let's say butter, cheese. Um, full fat milk please don't have this low fat milk please don't have stoned milk or pasteurized milk it's full fat milk butter cheese dairy you need to have coconut oil which is again saturated fat but you also need to have um, you know other kinds of fat which is um, fats like olive oil or avocados and you need to have polyunsaturated fat which is um, your, your fish your flax seeds chia seeds so nuts and seeds um, there is a very good fat for, that's needed for the body called EFAs or essential fatty acids. EFAs are something that the body cannot make. They only come from your diet. And therefore, you need the EFAs, which is in the form of fish um, or in the form of uh, flax seeds. But I would insist that, you know, you need a wide range of fats. Oils that, the, that your food is cooked in at home should be only cold-pressed oils and not refined oils. Refined oils are carcinogenic. Uh, are the endocrine disruptors which is not what we want a runner or an athlete to have so broadly uh, and then of course protein Uh, i think this is something that all uh, runners are aware of so i'm not going to lay so much emphasis on that Uh, and i also don't want you to get caught in this what kind of protein etc etc obviously animal proteins are better in the sense that they have a complete amino acid profile compared to plant protein but if you're a vegetarian or if you're a vegan, it doesn't mean that you don't, you can't get the complete amino acid profile. The only thing that you need to, to be careful of as a vegetarian is to have a very a varied source of plant proteins. Whereas as a meat eater, as a non-vegetarian, you can get away by just eating chicken and fish and ensuring that your protein is done. In a, as a vegetarian, you need to get a variety. Um, in, uh, and even as a vegan... Uh, while I know that you will have you won't have access to whey, there are enough um, rice and pea protein powders that are available today that you can use. My advice is you I, I don't promote a particular brand. I would ask that you can, you can go on to an online store and buy them. What I would ask you to look for are they need to be organic. They need you always need to look at the back of the pack. If there are way too many ingredients, if there are ingredients whose name you can't pronounce, so don't understand, don't buy them. So, <laughs> minimum number of ingredients, which means it also tells you that the manufacturer is processing them, you know, at far lower level and you need them in as whole a form as possible. For regular clients, I would have said just depend upon food. But for athletes, I understand that the level of protein requirements are much higher. So, yes, I would advocate you taking um pea protein, rice protein, on whey, my advice, and I know every, almost every athlete makes his mistake, on the back of the pack, almost all whey supplements have an artificial sweetener in them. The artificial sweetener comes in the name of asulfame or aspartame, and those are carcinogenic. Please avoid buying whey protein, which has artificial sweeteners. Today, we are so lucky. There are enough and more fabulous products that are available, which don't have these. Try if you can get, and if you're, you know, I know affordability can be an issue. But my advice is to get grass-fed organic whey protein. Okay. Sorry, Um, uh, Sharda, you
0: mentioned about an artificial sweetener. uh, Artificial sweetener. What uh, can you repeat that? Uh, Sorry, I didn't get that.
1: So usually, artificial sweeteners. So obviously, these sweeteners are added to make it more palatable, because most of us don't want something that tastes terrible. Which is why I will warn your listeners that anybody having a pre-protein or a rice protein is going to complain because it is not as sweet as whey because whey has lactose, which is from milk, right? So it's naturally sweet. But manufacturers add these artificial sweeteners. Why? For two reasons. One, they want to ensure that you get the taste. But two, they know that whey guys are also people who don't want the calories, right? So they're not adding sugar. Instead, they add an artificial sweetener, which has zero calories. However, there's a huge downside to artificial sweeteners um which is that they're carcinogenic um they have a lot of harmful side effects Uh, so i would advise you to stay away from these artificial sweeteners the two most commonly used artificial sweeteners are aspartame number one and asulfame that's number two and if you don't recognize some of these names please google And you literally, your top two results will tell you if what kind of a sweetener this is. Now,
0: related to nutrition is the question of uh, supplements. So, Mahesh, I will probably come to you on that. Of course, whey protein, pea protein, one can classify as uh, supplements. People are in the habit of taking, let's say, curcumin tablets or uh, many other sort of supplements. Now... What's your opinion on what really works? To the best of my understanding, what what I understand today where science is, is that certainly beetroot or beetroot supplements definitely help and caffeine help. But beyond that supplements, the, the evidence is not compelling enough is what I, I have understood. But what is your opinion on supplements?
2: Sure. So, I mean, uh, even on those two, I would place the gentle question mark, the beetroot powder and caffeine as well. So if you look at the evidence, the published evidence for caffeine, then uh, the evidence is a little weak, the only uh, published study that is cited specifically for aerobic exercise um, only had like a three milligram per kilo um, sort of uh, supplementation of caffeine. It wasn't even coffee. So this was caffeine that was uh, given to the participants and the improvement in a 60 minute um, distance travelled was anywhere between 4.5% uh, to 3.9% I mean the other way around 39 to 4.5% or so so uh, I don't see it causing a substantial improvement at least in the research but anecdotally I know that all athletes including those who just work out in gyms often prefer, prefer to have a shot of black coffee uh, it does stimulate the adrenals the adrenals in turn pull out sugar from the liver So, there is a whole glycogen uh, utilization that happens better when you use caffeine. So, um, not as a dietary supplement, as in, in a pill form, but certainly in the form of coffee itself, there is anecdotal evidence for. For caffeine as a pill, like I said, the evidence, I'm afraid, is still quite weak, at least in the published research, right? So, there are some doctors who prefer it, some athletes who prefer it, but if you look at research studies that they're using, there isn't too much. Um, the um, other one that you mentioned, beetroot, certainly beetroot, beetroot is known to improve nitric oxide and therefore vasodilation and that is the mechanism of action through which it seems to improve breathing apparatus. I've certainly used it with suboptimal people, uh, you know, so um, some children who have uh, breathing issues, I have used beetroot powder as an extract, as a supplement to improve their breathing and their stamina and it has certainly worked. But I have not used it with athletes and I'd be interested in looking at some of the research if it is actually there on athletes, you know. So uh, oftentimes uh, nature doesn't work quite in the same way in going from suboptimal to optimal. And then that same thing won't be duplicated in optimal to super optimal, right? So if a person's already running, etc. Does beetroot really help them? I don't know if the evidence is solid enough in there. So uh, where is the evidence? So evidence I have found on two things number 1 is the old uh, faithful from ayurveda that not too many people think of when it comes to aerobic exercise but that is ashwagandha so ashwagandha at 600 uh, milligrams or so per day um, you know maybe might be better in an equal divided dose of 300 mg per day again look for the higher quality ones the ones that have a uh, you know um, uh, um, Um, they extract the ashwagandha uh, from the entire uh, profile of the ashwagandha plant rather than uh, just from the root. That kind of profile can certainly help. But ashwagandha has shown evidence, uh, minor improvement in aerobic exercise, but um, it has held itself in three studies conducted in three different places. So that would be one thing to look at for sure. And in any case, ashwagandha is fantastic to reduce stress levels. uh, It's overall improved sleep, Uh, As an adaptogen, it helps you handle high stress even during the run. So, overall, ashwagandha is something to look at. The other thing that I found quite interesting, and maybe this has to do with muscle utilization of sugar and maybe with some of the, um, uh, you know, the way in which the body builds up lactate during exercise, is magnesium. So, magnesium again around, uh, you know, so good quality magnesium, which is should not be an oxide. A magnesium oxide is the worst form of magnesium possible. It will run right through your system and only cause loose motions. So, the study that I have seen used magnesium orotate, but I suspect that um, magnesium citrate, glycinate, those would also be forms that can be utilized well in the body. So, again, I would suggest a dose of around um, uh, 750 to 750 milligrams to a gram a day remember magnesium is always always tolerated to stomach tolerance and it's highly uh, bio individualized which means some people need higher amounts of magnesium and it will cause no side effects in other people once they reach their level of tolerance they may get loose tools so as soon as you get loose tools you need to come to one dose lower so take 250 mg lower of magnesium but those are the supplements that I found in the research, actually bear out for aerobic exercise um, as, you know, being useful.
0: Thanks. Thanks, Mahesh. That's really interesting, especially the comments around ashwagandha and uh, magnesium i i clearly didn't uh, know either of this so thanks thanks for that sharda coming back to you a lot of the listeners are uh, women and uh, women have particularly different challenges than men when it comes to endurance activities so are there some particular aspects that uh, you would like to highlight
1: yeah um so two things for women is number one of course which we um, know plays a big role in their performance is our hormones. um, And they 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 can impact the way, uh, you know, how the body is able to generate energy. Um, Number two is women also have, uh, you know, women we will find uh, somewhat related to the first one is will often have iron deficiency. And um, there is also an issue on uh, bone density um, with women. As far as hormones are concerned, um, so the two uh, you know uh, important female hormones are progesterone and estrogen, and both these have an important on athletic performance. Why? Because if you look at uh, progesterone as um, you know the one hormone, progesterone has uh, you know is helps in the functioning of the thyroid gland, which in turn is what helps has it played a big role in your metabolism and in generation of energy. And remember that in a women's uh, in a monthly cycle of a woman. Um, there are, uh, it's if I, It would probably be broken up into, let's say, the first 15 days and the second 15 days. The first 15 days is called the follicular phase when estrogen levels are relatively higher. And in the second 15 days called the luteal phase, you find that the progesterone levels are higher. Now, um, when the progesterone levels are higher, um, you obviously know that, you know, versus in the first half when they are lower, um, you will find a, a variation in the performance in the second half of a woman's cycle, it's also the time when lactate levels tend to be lower. So you tend to get tired less easily. In general, women are able to uh, process fats and proteins more efficiently in the second half of their cycle. And they're able to process carbohydrates more efficiently in the first half of the cycle. Uh, One of the hormones in the woman's body called, you know, a form of estrogen called estradiol uh, plays a big role in um, reducing muscle damage or repairing post-in-injury, it also has a role in redu- in breaking down fats and, and reducing inflammation. Uh, but the go up and down going of these various hormones are likely to, ha- you know, play an, have an impact on a, uh, on a woman's performance. And I know that a lot of, um, especially the advanced female athletes, will, you know, when they work with nutritionists and they when they work with trainers, they're already well aware of that. And therefore, their diets are also uh, accordingly planned. So, for example, even in, you know, when women come to us at Sepalica for a hormonal imbalance, uh, one of the things we do is a concept called seed cycling. So the same seeds that I spoke about a little earlier, you know, flax seeds, sunflower seeds, melon seeds, which are a great source of protein and fat can also help to balance some of these hormones. So we will see it cycle depending on which phase of, uh, um, of your you know monthly cycle you are in. And that can help balance the hormones so that it doesn't have such a big impact on your uh, athletic performance. And as I said, the other couple of things are uh, bone density and iron deficiency. So you need to ensure that your diet is adequately compensated for um, so that they don't have an adverse impact on your uh, fitness levels.
2: Sorry, Raj, I just wanted to add, uh, you know, one small thing. So this is because, you know, we uh, because we deal with hormonal health, we get a lot of women who are, uh, you know, in this day and age, obviously very active uh, physically doing HIIT sessions and doing endurance things and, you know, uh, stuff that um, obviously is, is fantastic for everybody to do. However, we find that uh, it is important that you should not let it impact your monthly cycle. So if your endurance or your training schedule is actually making you miss periods, uh, then do not ignore this. This is a crucial symptom that you're simply not getting enough nutrition and you're not getting enough rest. So, you know, um, uh, nutrition sensing pathways in the body like insulin pathway and mTOR and so on. These are all names that some of your listeners may have heard. These are crucially bound in women to the amount of nutrition that they are getting and the kind of stress that they are going through in terms of physical exercise. So if close, if in the first half of that period that Sharda spoke about, so day 0 to day 15, if there is excess physical activity or if you are not well enough rested, nature does a very simple commonsensical thing of not letting you produce an egg or ovulate in that cycle. So you have a regular period but it is an anovulatory ovulatory cycle. Nature senses as if there isn't enough nutrition and you're running from a predator. So it should not allow you to have a child. So if you have female athletes, female enthusiasts, fitness enthusiasts who are listening in and they're trying to start a family, then that is the time you need to moderate your exercise and ensure that you're getting even better nutrition. Otherwise, you may be seeming to get regular periods, but nature will not let you have a baby. Uh, this is something that, you know, we only get to see the damaged uh, people who come to us. But, you know, when we set them right, like Sharda mentioned, with all these right diet and seat cycling, etc. One of the parting advices we give them is, do not do extensive heavy workout in the first part of your estrogen phase. Because if you do it, then it is going to lead to an an ovulatory period. And this is especially true for people who are trying to conceive.
0: Thank you, Mahesh. All right. We are now going to have a change of pace and I will do a short quiz for both of you. Before we start the quiz, I want to let listeners know that all the resources being discussed here are included in the show notes. So do refer to those uh, links for further information. I also request all of you who are listening to please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word. Please also leave a review on iTunes as it will help enormously to grow the show. Now to the quiz. We will have three questions each. So, Sharda, I'm going to start, uh, start with you. The first question I want to ask is, uh, what is a zoonotic uh, disease? Uh,
1: a zoonotic is any disease that actually gets transferred from animals to human beings.
0: That's right, Sharda. Well done. Uh, coming to you, uh, Mahesh, uh, the, uh, this should be very easy for you. Who is traditionally regarded as the founder of Ayurveda?
2: This is actually shouldn't be easy for anybody at all, truth be told, because if we look at our antiquity, you can start anywhere from Danvantri onwards at the minimum. Therefore, to put a name on this one is a toughie. I know a lot of people say Charaka, Sushruta, Patanjali and so on, but you know, none of those. dhanvantri is the least that is an acceptable answer.
0: Okay, I, that that's good enough for me. So thank you for that. Uh, back to you, Sharda. So next question is, uh, again, should be quite easy for you. Uh, what date is the World Diabetes Day celebrated every year?
1: Considering it's a disease focus of sepalaka, I know that one very well. It's 14th November.
0: Thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, 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 Mahesh, uh, question for you. See, when you have a sports injury, people are always, uh, you know, often advised RICE, R-I-C-E. Uh, what's the expansion of RICE? Uh, rest um, ice
2: compression elevation
0: oh lovely thank you so much for that couple of questions more then we will wind up this quiz segment uh, Sharda Peter Cipher and James Elam are uh, widely credited with uh, inventing a first aid technique which is very uh, uh, you know very very widely used around the world what technique are we talking about
1: good lord I have no idea of this
2: one
0: uh, Mahesh you want to take a crack at that
2: is it CPR? I'm not sure though.
0: Perfect. It is CPR. Although Peter Safer at least says that he doesn't want the credit for that because the some of the methods uh, predated uh, both of them. And the last question, again back to you Mahesh, it's related to food. Uh, there is something called the Scoville scale, S-C-O-V-I-L-L-E, Scoville scale, which is used to measure something in food. What is it used to measure?
2: If memory serves, it is the feariness of chilies. So our but julka is way up there, right? So from yes, you are absolutely right.
0: So thank you, thank you, yeah, thank you so much for that. Okay, now a uh, couple of uh, things I wanted to ask you is uh, in terms of uh, the materials that you uh, you use, whether it is a blog or a website or podcasts or YouTube channels, books. Uh, uh, Can each of you give some recommendations for our uh, listeners? Uh, Any of these, I mean, any materials that you use? Uh,
1: I personally use, uh, follow uh, Dr. Mark Hyman, uh, both his uh, podcasts uh, as well as uh, a lot of the videos that he puts out every day. Um, He's, you know, probably the biggest champion of functional medicine, which is the philosophy that we follow at Sepalika. And I find that he's very, very um, uh, rooted uh, in what he recommends. Um, the, uh, the other person I actually look at is a guy called Mark Sisson, who is um, the father of the Paleo uh, modern paleo diet. He's written a book called The Paleo Blueprint. And in fact, both Dr. Hyman and Mark Sisson are both guys who are probably in their, their mid 60s, and they both have fitness levels in probably when they are like in, the, they, they're in their mid-30s. And Dr. Mark Hyman actually went through a very, very uh, almost life-threatening illness. Um, he is, uh, he consults at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio. Um, he went through a life-threatening illness and he actually used the principles of diet, nutrition and lifestyle to heal, heal himself back to an incredible level of fitness that he is there today. So from a medicine or from a nutrition perspective, these are the guys that I look at. I also follow a lot of what Rujutra Devekar does in India because I find that, you know, she's very Indian, very rooted, and she depends a lot on traditional um, foods. And I find that there is so much wisdom sitting there that it's great to follow her. I, for all your listeners if they are um, looking for some spiritual uh, space and my personal inspiration comes from two people one is Eckhart Tolle and the other one is the uh, Buddhist monk uh, Thich Nhat Hanh
0: Thank you, thank you Sharda Mahesh, what about you? Okay, so my first uh, resource certainly
2: for your community would be Dr. John Duyard. Uh, so that is uh, D-U-I-L-L-A-R-D And Dr. John Duyard is an Ayurvedic doctor based in the United States and he is, like I mentioned earlier, the author of Mind-Body Sport which is one of the seminal works on nasal breathing and its impact on performance and everything. Funnily enough, he's my go-to guru for spirituality as well because the breath is the cusp of the body and the mind and if you are in control of the breath, you're in control of everything. Uh, so, Dr. John Duyard for sure. Then Dr. Peter Atiya, and it's called the Atia Drive. Uh, that's a resource to be considered for sure. Um, and um, Dave Asprey also. I think for just his audacity in asking questions that really help uh, to to you know sift the grain from the chaff. There are many times he's wrong. But the Bulletproof uh, podcast is something that uh, goes boldly where few people go. So those would be some of my resources.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, And if uh, the listeners want to reach out to you uh, for any professional help, uh, what's the best way to reach out like your website, your uh, social media handles? Can you just uh, leave us with that as well as we wind up uh, this discussion?
1: Our website is uh, www.sepalika.com. That's S-E-P-A-L-I-K-A.com. Our social media handles on both Facebook and Instagram is Sepalika Health. And if you would like to reach out to us personally um, on our email, which is contact at sepalika.com.
0: Okay. Uh, Thank you so much, uh, Mahesh and Sharda. This was uh, really, really helpful. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I personally learned quite a lot. And uh, you have also given a lot of material to follow up and uh, develop, you know, one's own understanding. So uh, really, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, And uh, wish you wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Raj. Thank you very much to all the listeners. As I mentioned, all the resources discussed here are included in the show notes. So do refer to those links for further information. You can reach out to me on my social media handles, which are Running and Fitness with Raj on both Instagram and Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at Running Raj. And you can also email me on Running and Fitness with Raj at gmail.com. Please let me know if you have any questions or specific guests you would like to see on the show. I also request you all again to please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word. Please leave a rating and review on iTunes or whichever podcast platform you are using. This will enormously help in growing the show. We will continue to bring you exciting and interesting guests and give specific and actionable advice. Stay safe, stay healthy, and till the next show, goodbye.